Good evening. It's uh, good to see you all here. Welcome if you're joining us online. Um, if you are here, there are refreshments after the service, so uh, please do stay around and enjoy fellowship with each other. Um, in a, a minute, we're going to pray. And through today, we're, or through this evening's service, we're thinking about the awesomeness of our God. So, let's pray to him now. Oh Lord, as we hear from your word today about how great you are, we are sorry that so often we lose sight of that. So often our heads are occupied with what we're doing, occupied with our efforts, our concerns, our little worlds, and we forget that we are in your world. We belong to the King who made us. And we pray that as we think about you, you will help us to be struck by your awesomeness, your glory, your power. And we pray, Lord, that you will change us. Oh Lord, sometimes our sin makes us want to hide away from you. So Lord, we come in our hearts to say sorry for what we've done. Lord, you you know, and we know we can't hide it from you. So Lord, forgive each one of us, we pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you say that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive our sins. So Lord, we we pray that we'll know that so that we are able to come and worship you because Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Amen. So we uh, will be celebrating in our first song the gift that God has given us, the one who came to die to pay the price to redeem us. So let's stand and sing. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer?
one of the things that the Bible tells us to do is to cast our cares on the Lord. And we're going to do something a little bit different this evening. It would be lovely but completely impractical if we were all to pray out loud, casting our cares on the Lord. But what I'd like to do is to give you a few moments to pray in quiet so that you are able to cast the burdens that you come into this next week with on the Lord and then I'll carry on praying for there. So I'm going to give you... It might, well, we'll see how long it feels like. But what is it that you want the great God to do for you this week? So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you know everything about us. You know the number of hairs that are on our heads. You know how many fell out this morning. And we thank you that you delight in your children. And Lord, you know that for some of us going into this week, we're looking forward with excitement to the things that we have coming. And we pray, Lord, that you will bless us in those. Our Lord, for others of us, We're coming with worries. Oh Lord, help us to trust you with those worries. Oh Lord, we pray that the outcome of what we worry about will be good. But we pray above all that you will give us the confidence in the God who made the mountains, the God who moved the mountains, the God who one day is going to resolve everything and make everything good. Oh Lord, help us to bring our cares, our worries, our concerns to you. Oh Lord, you know that we are battling, all of us, with different temptations. Oh Lord, you know what comes at us. You know whether it's people. You know whether it's what comes through our screens. Oh Lord, we pray that you will help us to renew our minds so that we think like you think. So that we don't go along with the view of this world but we have the view of our great God oh Lord we we do pray for Wednesday and the funeral oh Lord we we ask that you will be with the young family we pray that you'll be with John most of all Lord we pray that you will come and people will meet with you and there will be a sense not just that the day went well but that God spoke Oh Lord, we pray that for whenever we meet. Oh Lord, we we need you. And Lord, we do pray that knowing you will be part of 
our lives more and more. Oh Lord, we pray for the Christians here and we pray for the Christians in our country. Oh Lord, we, we ask that we'll be salt and light. We pray that we'll be more passionate about living for you and that the way you live, a shape, the way you want us to live will make much more of a difference than our family, our background, our career, our profession. Oh Lord, we pray that we will be known as Jesus people and we pray that The Christians in this country will make more and more of an influence so this country changes. Oh Lord, we do thank you for our history. We thank you for the great things that Christians have done of stopping the abuse of children in the workplace, of freeing the slaves, of starting schools, of of bringing your truth to people who were rejected by society. Oh Lord, we want to see more of that and we pray Lord that you'll move our hearts and our feet and our lives to be those who bring this great news into our country. Oh Lord, have mercy on our country we pray and we pray Lord that you will give us good and godly and wise leadership. Oh Lord, we we are sad at many things that happen in our country and Lord we pray for change but we know that you have an enemy we know that the prince of this world your, your enemy is, is fighting the gospel and Lord as we've heard from Rosie in Papua New Guinea how witchcraft is becoming more popular among the young people Lord we pray that you will help the church there to preach your truth and that that will come with power Oh Lord, we thank you that you are a mighty, powerful God. And Lord, we do thank you for the news from Cyprus that the false messengers have been kicked out because of their crimes. And Lord, we pray that that will give a good opportunity for the good news of the truth about Jesus rather than rubbish that says Jesus makes you rich. To go, to go forward into, this, into that situation and that many people will come to know the God who is great and glorious and in control and yet love this world enough to send his son that whoever trusts in him can be forgiven. Father, we thank you that we look forward to hearing your word read and we look forward to Mark bringing it to us. Lord, we pray that you will help him. We pray you'll give him a really clear mind, that you'll speak, and Lord, I pray that you'll give us hearts and minds that are open, not just to understand, but want to respond to the God he proclaims. Amen. So James is going to come and read the Bible passages for today. Thanks, James. We have two readings this evening, and the first is in Exodus 19, verses 16 to 25. So that's Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 to 25. Now this passage is where Moses has led the Israelites to Mount Sinai, and God is going to come down onto the mountain before all the people. 
so this is the section just before uh, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bring an Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And our second reading is in Hebrews 12, and that's verses 18 to 29. That's Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to all the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God 
acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so read God's word. Thanks, James. Earlier in the the meeting, we talked about bringing our own requests to God. And it's great that we can do that. But one other thing that I'd encourage you to do is to think about the things that you prayed about earlier and share them with a friend and ask your friend to pray for you as well. Because that's something that we are meant to be doing. We're meant to be bearing one another's burdens. And being British... A lot of us tend to keep those to ourselves. So I'm not asking you to do that now, but in in the time afterwards, when you're at home, find someone and ask them to pray for you. We're looking forward to Mark preaching to us from that passage. But before that, we're going to sing again about the hope that we have, whether we're alive or dead, we can rely on Jesus. So let's stand and sing.
good evening. It's good to see you all this evening. Welcome to those again on live stream. Wonder how have you come here tonight? Don't mean the vehicle you came in or whether you walked. I mean, what sort of attitude did you come with? When you clicked come online, what sort of attitude did you click with? Maybe you've come with a pretty casual approach. It's one of those things where it's just another event in the diary. You turn up because it's what you do. It's a Sunday evening. You've sort of rocked up here. And uh, you've kind of come with a bit of a take it or leave it approach as to whether you really listen tonight. Maybe some of you, if you're honest, would just rather play on your phones for the whole service. Maybe, maybe God is a little part of your life rather than you being a part of God's life. Or maybe simply God isn't part of your life at all, but you're here anyway. Or maybe you've come with a very different mindset. It might be that you've come this evening and uh, you're somewhat aware of the awesomeness of God and how holy he is. And you're also very aware of your guilt and your unworthiness before God. And you just kind of sense these barriers between you and God this evening. But tonight's message speaks powerfully into those different situations and to those different attitudes. How we come to church, the sort of attitude we come with is driven by our view of God and our view of what the church really is. And often both our view of God and our view of the church falls drastically short of the reality of what it really is. And perhaps tonight we need a bit of a recalibration. Machines often need that, don't they? I remember when I was a teacher uh, in a school and you often had to recalibrate the smart board. You know, you'd draw over here and the line would appear over here. You had to recalibrate it. It it was wrong. Or perhaps that's what we need. We need a recalibration. A reminder of who God really is. A reminder of just what church is, just how special church actually is. And I don't just mean this church here at Forest Fold. I mean the big church, I mean God's church that we're a part of. What we really are. You know, this is what the Hebrews needed. The Hebrews were going through some pretty tough times. Life was tough for them. Uh, They were facing persecution uh, from the Romans. Uh, The Jews were taunting them as well. Um, They were sort of saying, you know, why are you leaving God's people? You know, why are you leaving Moses and Abraham behind? You know, we've got, we've got it all. We've got the temple and we've got priests and we've got sacrifices and we've got festivals. And you've got your little group of people and you, you listen and you follow uh, a crucified man. Well, what sort of religion is that? And some of the Christians were getting scared because of the persecution. Some of them were getting disheartened by all the different things going on, the taunts. And they were being tempted to leave church. Sort of give up. Give up on meeting together. And what, what the Hebrews really needed was for their view of God and their view of church to be recalibrated. To see again what God is really like and, and why church is actually so special. And, and it, the writer to Hebrews wants them to endure in the Christian faith. But at the moment, he describes them as having weak hands. No, sorry, drooping hands and weak knees. Drooping hands and weak knees. They're on the verge of giving up. 
giving up on church, giving up on Jesus, giving up on meeting together. And maybe if you're honest, you feel a bit like that this evening. Well, tonight, we're going to see the reality of God and the reality of church. And we're going to do that by looking at two mountains that we find in Hebrews 12. Two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And I'll try my best not to get them mixed up. So we come first to Sinai. And this is the mountain that we haven't come to. Sinai, the mountain we haven't come to. It doesn't actually say it's Mount Sinai here in Hebrews 12, but uh, it obviously is. Um, It takes us back to Exodus uh, chapter 19. That's why we read that. Um, And Moses is on Mount Sinai, and it's where he receives the law. It's where he receives the Ten Commandments. And, And this is one of the most significant moments in the Old Testament. This is a really big moment. But the writer to the Hebrews is saying, look, that's where Moses was. He was there. It was a big moment. But that's not where you are now. And I, for one, am glad about that. Because what we see in this description of this mountain is terrifying. God's presence came down on this mountain. And listen to this. So this is Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 21. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is a terrifying experience for the people of God as they look at this mountain that God has descended on. And just look at some of the the words used to describe it. So we see a blazing fire. We see darkness. We see gloom. We see a storm. Sound of a trumpet. And an awesome voice. It's quite a description, isn't it? And if even an animal, if even an innocent animal steps onto this mountain, they were to be stoned. They were to be killed. One person who was writing about this uh, described it as the people being uh, physically assaulted with the holiness and majesty of God. Now it describes Mount Sinai as a a mountain that can be touched. Um, it, It was a physical mountain, they could all see it. And yet actually everything in this passage is screaming that it is untouchable. Only, only Moses, only the mediator between the people and God could step foot on the mountain. And, and it was so terrifying for him that he said, I tremble with fear. This is God's presence. Well, what, what are we seeing here? We're seeing the holiness and the power of God on this mountain. And we're seeing a barrier between God and the people. They are far from holy. And they're being kept far away. They're being kept from this distance because if they come into contact with God, they will die. And it's a terrifying experience. And I didn't get James to read this, but the bit before he read in Exodus 19, it talks about the consecration that they go through for three days. 
and they wash their clothes and wash everything they abstain from sexual relations and so they're ceremonially as clean as they can be and yet still they cannot come anywhere into the presence of God. They are separated, there's a barrier there and this is the reality of Mount Sinai that God is holy and that people are not and that there is a barrier and that the people tremble and fear and that if they get any closer to God they will die. That is Mount Sinai. And you know, without Jesus, that is the reality of our relationship with God, still. This is a a picture of what it's like if we meet God without Jesus, because he is so holy and we are unholy. We are separated. There is a distance there. If we came into God's presence, we would die. That is Mount Sinai. But for the Hebrews who knew Jesus, and for those of us here, and there's a good number of us here who know Jesus uh, for ourselves, Christians, that is not the mountain we have come to. We are not back at Mount Sinai. It's as if the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying to these people, look, you're not back there anymore. Stop looking backwards. Look forwards. Lift up your eyes. Look up. Look where we've got to. We've got to Mount Zion. It's a different mountain. But look at this one. This is where we are now. And so we see Zion, the mountain we have come to. It says in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. Well, the actual Mount Zion uh, isn't really a mountain at all. I looked it up just afternoon and it says a hill in Jerusalem. That's all it is, quite a grand name. Uh, But it's where the Temple of God was first built. And it's where God took the Ark of the, uh, sorry, David took the Ark of the Covenant. It was a symbol of God's presence. And he he took that into the temple. And so that became the dwelling place of God. Mount Zion was the dwelling place of God. It was where God lived. It was his home. Now the Hebrews hadn't actually just got to Jerusalem uh, with Mount Zion. but, But he's saying that spiritually when they meet together, they've come to the place where God meets. Where God lives. They've come to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. This is what happens when Christians meet together. We come to the dwelling place of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 22, uh, carrying on. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And just like there were lots of uh, descriptive words that describe Mount Sinai, we're going to look at some of the the words, uh, some of the phrases that describe Mount Zion. I'm going to put them up and go through them. This is the first one, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. I mean, already it sounds different, doesn't it, to Mount Sinai? Already it sounds good. We, we've come to the city where God lives. And it's not like, you know, you go to London and the Queen lives there. You don't have anything to do with the, the Queen when you go up there. You know, this... Actually, we see in Ephesians that we're being built up together. We're being joined together as Christians And that God lives in us. So we're in the city of God. And actually as we come together as a church, God lives in us. We're the home of God. Have we kind of understood that tonight as we're coming to meet together as Christians? That there is something very special about coming together to meet up. That yes, there is a sense where God is with us wherever we go and God lives in us. But when we come together as a church, we are God's living place, his temple. God is here. That's what makes it special but there's more 
This is uh, verses 22 to 24. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the rest of them um, and then we're going to go through them just very briefly. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is a stunning picture of the reality of what what church really is. Let's briefly look at some of the other descriptions then. So, we see innumerable angels celebrating. It talks about, in here, festal gathering. We don't tend to use the word festival much nowadays. It's kind of this idea of a celebration or a festival. Um, Too many angels uh, to count um, celebrating in God's presence. That's the picture that we've got here. So many angels that you can't count them. They're innumerable. Now, at Mount Sinai, the angels were terrifying. It talks about them being sort of there at the giving of the law. Tens of thousands, it says. They were terrifying. But now we get to worship alongside them. In Daniel 7, it says, A thousand thousand angels serving God, or the Ancient of Days, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. It's a lot of angels. And do you remember um, in Luke 2, when uh, Jesus' birth is announced to the shepherds, and the, shep- uh, the angels uh, sing and rejoice and announce the good news, and what was their reaction? The shepherds, they're afraid, they're fearful, because it was terrifying. But now we join in their celebration. It's as if we're side by side with, with the angels celebrating, singing together. You know, one of the best things about sitting up the front, which I quite often do if I'm speaking or involved, is that the volume is just so much louder up the front. I encourage you to try it. If you, if you often sit at the back, come and sit at the front. And it, sometimes, like that last, that last song, just singing it and being up the front, it just gives you such a lift and it, just such a sense of praise for God. It's good for us. Some of you have been to places like the Royal Albert Hall where you sing with thousands of other people. And you just get that wow. Imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. Thousands and thousands and thousands of angels who can sing much better than us. Praising God all together. Join with thousands of Christians from around the world. And we look forward, don't we, to the day when we'll be with them. When we can see them. When we're in, really in God's presence. We look forward to that day. Well, next, the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. Well, as Christians, we're not sort of begrudgingly accepted into heaven as if it's a kind of, you know, come in, stay in the corner. If you can just sort of keep quiet and stay out of the way, that'd be great. We're welcomed in as the firstborn. You know who else is welcomed in as the firstborn to heaven? Jesus. Jesus, he's the, the rightful heir of all things. He's the dearly beloved of heaven. He's the one that should receive the royal welcome into heaven. And yet we as his followers are welcomed in in the same manner that he is welcomed into. And that we too receive an inheritance from the Father. 
And we were hearing this morning, my ears pricked up when he was talking about the inheritance. It's imperishable. And Christian, you are enrolled in heaven. Your name's in the book of life. Now, some of you I know have been uh, looking around universities. And it's quite an exciting time, isn't it, when you go around and you look at them. And um, you, you explore, but you don't really belong, do you? You, sort of, you look at it and you think, I wonder what it's like to be here. But then as time goes by, you get your exams results, hopefully you get in somewhere, and then you're enrolled into that university. And suddenly it's different, isn't it? The paperwork starts coming through, and you belong. You're enrolled, your name's on the list, you're part of it. And Christians, you are enrolled in heaven. Your name's on the list, and no one can ever delete you off that list. And as a church talks about us being an assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's a great phrase, isn't it? We're an assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Our names are on the list. That's where we belong. And that's exciting, isn't it? Fourth one, to God, the judge of all. This is another thing that we saw mentioned this morning, that God is the judge of all. And, and it, it should make us pause and think as we think about God being the judge. He's the judge of every living thing. Nothing can hide from him. He will judge all of our lives. And there, there is a sense in which we should stand before him in awe. And yet at the same time, this is good news for us, isn't it? That God is a, a good judge. He's a just judge. He'll judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. It's from the Psalms. When there's a serious crime that hits the news, what do people cry out for? Cry out for justice, don't we? We want justice to be done. We, we want and we need a judge who will judge properly and will do well. God will not let injustice go unpunished. He will not let evil reign. And you know, as God's people... In, in Mount Zion, we, we've already gone past the, the point of judgment because Jesus has taken it for us. So we don't need to fear him as judge anymore because we've already gone past that point because of Jesus. So this is good that God is the judge of all. That is a good thing. And to those Christians who were struggling with persecution, it must have been encouraging for them to know, look, God is the judge. He will deal with things. Persecutors will not just get away with it. Fifth, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is why we don't need to fear God as judge, because we've been made perfect. We've joined the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We, we join with the millions of others, not only who are alive today, but also who have died. So I love this phrase, the spirits. Those in glory already, those of us still here, everyone that's placed their faith in God, we've been made perfect. It's not that we've earned it. It's not that we've, we've got there on our own accord. We've been made perfect by Jesus. As one person said, Mount Sinai may remind us of how unholy we are, but Mount Zion is where you find that you've been made perfect. That's great, isn't it? Look at Mount Sinai, we realise how sinful we are. Look at Mount Zion, 
realize we've been made perfect. And now we see how, as we come to the next one, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus isn't a mediator like Moses who trembles in God's presence. He's a son of God. He speaks on our behalf. He he brings us to his father. He's our representative. And so we come boldly before the throne of grace. The law has no power over us because Jesus himself has satisfied it completely. His blood, his sprinkled blood, speaks a better word than the word of Abel. That's the final one out of these. This is also what we come to. The sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, when uh, Cain killed Abel, the first murder in history, Abel must have thought he got away with it for a bit. There's no CCTV, no 999 number that he could call. But God saw it. And it's as if uh, Abel's blood called out to God for justice. As if it was crying out, God, you must do something. Blood was the, the evidence of guilt. But with Jesus, it's different. Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out mercy. Cries out mercy. His blood is what cleanses us. The sprinkling of his blood is what makes us perfect. That's how we can be made perfect. It's by his blood that we can be forgiven. It's by his blood that we can enter Mount Zion and come into the presence of God, the city of the living God. So Mount Sinai was a mountain of terror, of separation from God, of barriers. But Mount Zion is a mountain of celebration and of joy and of acceptance and of relationship with God. So we've got these two peaks, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and these two peaks show us God. But you know, we can make two mistakes when we think of Mount Sinai. And the first mistake that we can make is that we can look back too much at Mount Sinai. A bit like the Hebrews were doing. Kind of keeping our eyes backwards, forgetting to look at what actually church is like and what God is like. And we spend too long looking back at Mount Sinai. And we see God's holiness and we know that God is worthy And that we are not worthy, but we still try so hard to be good enough for God. We go back to the law, and we've lost sight of grace. And we we keep trying to sort of get to God, ourselves be good enough. But we will always struggle with peace and assurance, because we'll never be good enough. We're too unholy, God is too holy. There's barriers there. Do you find yourself looking too much at Mount Sinai? We don't trust God's grace or we forget about it. And we spend the whole time trying to do it by our own works, the law. Or maybe, it's slightly different, but maybe our view of God is so dominated by his holiness, and it's a good thing to have a real perspective of that, but maybe it's so dominated by that that we we don't really grasp God's grace. We lose sight of all of this, all of Mount Zion. 
And, and so when we're telling people about God, it's as if we get them and we, we, we take them to Mount Sinai and, Sinai and we say, this is what God is like. You need to repent. But we never take them to Jesus. We never take them to the Saviour. You know, if you want to show people God's holiness and how much God hates sin, then a better place to take them is to Calvary. Mount Zion shows us what what church really is. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but purely because of what Jesus has done for us. So one mistake is to spend too much time looking back. To forget about Mount Zion and what the church really is and to look at Mount Sinai. But the other mistake that we can do is to forget about Mount Sinai completely. To leave that in the past and move on. We can treat sin as if it's no big deal. We can forget about God's holiness and think it doesn't really matter anymore. We, we, we sort of come to church pretty casually. We just turn up, rock up each week and we don't really think about who God is because we've forgotten how awesome God is. But he's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's still the same God that descended on Sinai. There was, a, there was a little boy that said this. It's quite funny but it's also quite enlightening. He said, uh, I wasn't so keen on the God of the Old Testament but I liked him better in the New Testament when he became a Christian. (laughs) But it's how a lot of us feel, isn't it? It's kind of, God's different in the Old Testament. You've got this kind of angry God, a strict God, the God that punishes sin. And then in the New Testament, we've got this kind of lovely Jesus who's love and compassion and doesn't really care about sin anymore. Do we sometimes fall into the trap of feeling like that? You know, we're about to see in the passage we're reminded that God is still a consuming fire. God hasn't changed. He's still exactly the same. He's still that terrifying God that we see on Mount Sinai. But what we need to do is we need to look back at Mount Sinai, see what God is like, see what we are like, see the barriers, and then praise God that that is the reality of the church today because of what Jesus has done. Many of you will uh, know of the the hymn writer John Newton. Um, He was a a former slave trader. He knew what it was like to feel sinful, to feel unworthy, to feel unholy. He knew all that. And he wrote a a verse that's pretty much based on, on this. He says, Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Saviour's name. He has hushed the Lord's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. It's good, isn't it? Well, I just want to finish with three very quick application points. Three things uh, of how we should react. And this is verses 25 to 29. It's, It's very brief. But the first one is, do not refuse him. Why? Because we will not escape him. It says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. You know, the Hebrews were tempted to give up on church, give up on Christianity. They were tempted to refuse God, stop listening to him. And there's just a warning here. You know, in in Moses' time, many of them refused God. They rejected it, they disobeyed God. And thousands of their bodies littered the desert. You know, no one escapes God's judgment. And I just want to encourage you this evening, don't refuse God. When he's speaking to you, don't refuse him because he tells us himself, no one escapes. And I don't think he tells us because he's this sort of savage, strict God. He tells us because he's made a way of escape. We heard this morning again about the runoffs, the the way that we can avoid judgment. And God's like, I've provided Jesus. Run to him. Don't refuse the gift that I've given you. Do not refuse him because you will not escape. Secondly, be grateful. Why? For a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm not going to speak much about this, but at, uh, at Mount Sinai, we hear about the, the mountains shaking. God shakes the earth and the people tremble. And God says, one day I'm going to do much more than that. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake everything and everything that is made will not last. Only the things that belong to God will last. It will disintegrate. All our homes, all our careers, our cars, everything will disintegrate one day. God says, I'm going to shake the earth like I shook Sinai. And the Hebrews were struggling And they were getting shaken around a little bit themselves. But what an encouragement to know that they were part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. That will last. It will never disintegrate. They're going to be part of the new heavens and the new earth. That must have been encouraging for them. And then finally, worship in awe and reverence. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. It says, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So perhaps we've needed a bit of recalibration this evening. I found it helpful myself. So easy, isn't it, to delight in grace but forget just the holiness of God? Or maybe we do it the other way around and we think about the holiness of God but we forget grace. Well, if we came casually tonight, I hope we've sort of sat up and take notice. Serious, we need, to, we need to worship in awe and reverence before this God. If you're feeling completely unworthy tonight, I hope it's done you good to remember that, it's not up there anymore, but that Zion is what is true for you because of Jesus. Not because of you, because God has made you perfect through his sprinkled blood. And if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling a bit like giving up, it's a struggle, I hope this tonight, this vision of God has helped, uh, helped you endure. It will help you keep going. And I hope that for all of us, it will give us um, just a fresh joy coming to church each week and that it will be such a special 
time in the diary for us. Well, we don't often do this, um, but I was choosing songs, and there were a couple um, that just seemed to really fit. And um, quite often, I don't know about you, but quite often I find that when I've heard a message on a subject, I then, when I sing it, it just I'm able to sort of understand it so much more and feel it so much more. And so rather than have one before and one after, we've now got two songs uh, that we're going to sing that really fit this theme. And so I just encourage you as we sing to really think about the words and just to um, just be in awe, really, of God and who he is. So, thank you.
Lord God, I pray uh, that you would help us to see you more clearly each and every day. Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of your holiness and how awesome you are. But Lord, I also pray, uh, Lord, that on that backdrop, Lord, that we would see the beauty of grace and the beauty of what you've done. And Lord, I pray that we would go home this evening celebrating with the angels. Lord, fill our hearts with joy. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, we thank you that all they have to do is simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they will be saved. Lord, I pray that you would save souls even tonight. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.